Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Well, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. I'm back. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> that was lackluster. We can do better than that. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> <Just Yeah. kidding. laughs> uh, so we're going to go right into the book chapter discussion. We're looking at Jamie nine from a storm of swords and I'm joined with Whitey. Hi everyone. This is YD and you can find me at yellow Delaney on Tumblr and Eon. Hey, this is Eon. You can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. And Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. Um, you can find me at Chickren on Tumblr. Awesome. And I am going to do the spoiler warning. Um, so we spoil everything. Anything you can think of that can be spoiled will be spoiled. You've been warned. Okay, so um, the beginning of this chapter, we're looking at... Um, Tolman as he's being guided through signing documents by Kevin Lannister. Um, Jamie is bored out of his mind. He's thinking about how much he can trust Sir Adam Maraband into keeping his secret in regards to how poorly he is at fighting now. And then uh, he has a moment where he's contemplating perhaps substituting Sir Adam with uh, Ilan Payne, which I think is probably a good idea. Um, so while Jamie is thinking all of this, there are some pretty interesting documents being signed by Tolman. I thought maybe we could discuss some of the, some of them and the ramifications. Um, we see, like, this is stuff I didn't really pay much attention to when I was doing I love how, I love how this is basically like a foreshadow of everything we're going to see in Feast. Because a lot of the names that are being dropped here are people that both Jamie and Brienne are going to deal with later in the next book. I know, and it, like like I said, like when I first read it, I, I was like, "This is boring." <laughs> but now that you've gone through it and you go back, it's it really uh, shines a new light on it. Um, so we see the stripping of River Run from the Tullys, um, the granting of River Run to Emmon Fry and Lady Jenna, legitimizing of Ramsay Snow uh, slash Bolton, um, naming of Lord Bolton as Warden of the North, and a royal pardon. Um, of Lord Gawain Westerling and his wife and daughter, Jane. So, just like Chicky said, stuff that will all come into play later. There was also a pardon for Jonas Bracken, who also we are introduced to in Face. We sure are introduced to that dude, big time. <laughs> in a scene of rather spectacular fashion. <laughs> that's in dance, actually. That's in dance. <laughs> that oh, sorry, that's right. That's scene. Jamie's chapter in dance. Yeah. You know, I can't keep the chapters... With, with- straight because when I read this book I like downloaded it on my tablet and I didn't like download them in separate books so for me it was just uh, like what like the four books were like one giant ass oh. book and I read it over one Christmas break so. wow. yeah I, no that's ja- that's Jamie's chapter in dance with uh with the lovely Hildy as well Hildy, yeah shout out to you Hildy fans. Hildy represent <laughs> Okay. Stay tuned to close the door and come here for future episodes. <laughs> for Hildy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, going on. Uh, Jamie 
pretty much excuses himself from the tedium of this scene. Um, but before he goes, he has a line about an, uh, um, that he exchanges with Kevin about a mocking gift his father has given him, which we will see later. Um, he sees Marin Trant, who's keeping guard outside the door, and thinks how he needs to keep <clears throat> he has he needs to keep a secret about how bad a fighter he is now um, from all his King's Guard brothers. So he really doesn't trust the ones that are sitting there now. Um, Jamie makes. Do we his... do we blame him seriously? No, <laughs> the King's Guard is a mess. It really is vermin. Yeah. That... Who was it? What was that line? It was from, was it the last chapter that you guys did? Where he had held the door open. Open the gates to let the rats in. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good line. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, Jamie makes his way outside um, to meet, uh, what the hell's the girl's real name? The fake Aria. Jane Poole, dude. Jane Poole, right. And she's being played off as Aria. She's on her way to the north to marry Ramsay Bolton. Oh God, poor, poor girl. That's horrible. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a passage about uh, dried blood being on the stable floor where Gregor Clegane had chopped a stable boy's arm off. Um, Jamie thinks of how Gregor is suffering now for it and with Pycelle's quote-unquote treatments, <laughs> the medical attention he's receiving is quite horrible. They describe cutting away the raw of the flesh, um, boiled wine and bread. Uh, moldy bread and then leeches so ugh. not a good scene <laughs> so it's, um, a, it's a nice passage actually because jamie think well, he looks to the blood and he he says that the side of it makes him angry you know that the boy i guess was killed just highlights again that jamie's not into this senseless violence or cruelty. senseless killing also what yeah. he's really mad about is the king's guard that we're watching yeah over, trying to get the the crowd to move away they were too busy watching the actual duel yeah he is he's also lamenting the ineptitude of his king's god brothers yeah yeah he's got a lot of work to do um yeah he does oh we also get a bit about um tywin's need to appease the dornish at any cost Mm -hmm. and he won't allow the holding of the dornishman to figure out what poison that was used on gregor um Stannis is also mentioned, and Tywin is sure he will never give up the war, wants to keep him from allying with Sunspear at any cost. And I was hoping you guys could help me out, but was that ever in Stannis' thoughts to do that? Because that seems like a really good idea to me. <laughs> um, I don't think it ever was, just because of the the basically break that there was with Dorne um, after Elia and her children were killed. I mean, Stannis is a Baratheon. He is Robert's brother. And I think Stannis would probably realize how difficult it would be to, to breach yeah. that. But it's a good idea. If you can get the Dornish on board, I'm sure that would be a, a definite plus. Yeah. I doubt it could have, though. He was probably smart no. to go north. And it was, yeah. it, it is interesting too to see that's what Tywin's thinking. Like he's such a, he's always ahead of the game, you know? Tywin Absolutely. wants to like close every single gap possible. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, if you also notice um, with Sir Gregor Clegane, he doesn't want, he doesn't want Sir Gregor to succumb to his infection and die like that because I think yeah. if he did, that would give, that would really make the Dornish really happy that. You know, Oberyn was the one that actually killed the guy. He actually wants Gregor to get better so that they can behead him and actually say, hey, see what we did? We beheaded 
Gregor Clegane for you so we can send his head back to you. That's yeah. like, thank you. It really does. Thank you yeah, for saying that. Because I, I was kind of confused and a bit unclear why he wanted him to live. Well, All right. And it, yeah, yeah, rein- it reinforces how smart Tyrion was to try to make this allegiance with Dorne. Um, not that Dorne is especially like powerful as far as like, you know, soldiers or something like that, but how important it is not to have them working against you, basically. And it's great that Tywin is basically <laughs> reinforcing how intelligent Tyrion was to make this, you know, Marcella Tristan Tristane, sorry, alliance. Yeah, thanks. Like I says, like I was confused. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> Jamie gets to the White Sword Tower, and inside his bedchamber, he finds Cersei. Um, she asks him to talk to Tywin. He wants um, to take her off. Tywin wants to take Cersei off the council, and um, he wants to send her away to Casterly Rock. This is what she's telling Jamie. She doesn't want to be separated from her son. And um, I don't know. I kind of have a moment of, like, having some empathy for Cersei here. <laughs> Am I crazy? No, I mean, I have empathy for I... Jamie here. Okay. Don't you have empathy for Jamie? When he walks in and sees Cersei standing there, I mean, like, the scene that's set by George, like, this this idea of, of Cersei standing in this beautiful gown, mm-hmm. like, before the window with this beautiful view of the sea, you know, before her, and Jamie walks in and sees her there, and she's just everything that's beautiful and lovely, and he actually thinks about how he wants nothing more than to just take her in his arms. Yeah. I find it, like, so sad and beautiful. Yeah, he even goes into, like, great detail about the dress, right? It's, like, a white yeah, yeah, dress. Yeah, he does. Green I was emerald. just going to say, in response to your question, Law, I think it's not it's not unusual, I guess, to feel some empathy for Cersei because for her, essentially, everything is falling apart at this moment. Um, so, you know, I mean, yes, she's not a very nice person. She's certainly a narcissist, but she's also not having a very good time. So <laughs> I can I can give her some empathy. You're going to say something, Eon? Oh, I was going to go into how, like, um, Cersei's wearing white, and he even shows that in his room it's white and everything. And yes, it's, it's a, just seeing him walking in there and seeing her like that. Yeah, I feel bad. And she is her. certainly dressed to impress, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She, she is. talks about how her gown is low cut to bear her shoulders and the tops oh, of her yeah. breasts. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then at one she's... point, not too far from here, she, she takes out her hair and shakes it around. Yeah. She's, yes. she's, she's here on a mission. There's no question that she there's sure something important is. for Cersei that has drawn her hair. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can see that all in slow motion as her golden curls. <laughs> Kind of a white snake song is playing in the background. Like a, a, a Phoebe Cates kind of thing. Yeah. Barry, Barry White is playing in the background. <laughs> oh. Well, I guess for me, I just, I, I really try to understand her because, like, thinking about a mother who's really is losing her children. She just lost one child, and now yeah. her father wants to send her away from her, her other, yeah. her, you know, her second son. I kind of feel for her a little bit. I get why she does what she does a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's not difficult to feel some amount of empathy for her, but then you kind of need to think about why is she actually upset that her children are being taken from her? Because is it truly that she's concerned for their well-being or is it more that she's just concerned that, I don't know, that kind of taking – 
her little shadows away from her. I guess in any case, it is sad for her. So it's a yeah, mixed it's not a bag, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't think, think it's yeah. dark in way. It's a mixed Well, I mean, her, her power is derived through her children, and she knows that oh, very definitely. well. And so yeah. taking Tyrion, or sorry, taking Tommen away takes away her power, and that's definitely a part of this. Yeah. But for me, what's so interesting about the way that this scene begins um, is that it, it starts out with her basically acknowledging that she knows that Tywin wants Jamie out of the Kingsguard. And continuing through <laughs> talking about how Jamie should do what Tywin wants so that he yeah. will give Cersei what she wants. It's almost a complete reversal yeah, of, of the Eel Alley scene that we, we heard Jamie reminisce about earlier in this book. Yeah. And isn't it funny that in both cases, it's Cersei acting in her own best interest and pretty much against Jamie's best right. interest? Because but. in Ill Alley, she's taking away Jamie's, uh, you know, role as heir, which may have been important to him at one point. And in this scene, she's saying, No, I need you to leave the Kingsguard. I know you want to stay. It doesn't matter to me. You need to do this for me. Yep. It's a complete reversal. Yeah, it's a complete reversal of her. Her, you know, 20 years before or whatever it was, um, plea to him to join the Kingsguard, yeah. And it totally goes back to a question that I think was bought, brought up um, right before I went on hiatus was about, do you think Cersei loves Jamie? And I think my answer yeah. was not in the same way he loves her. Because if you really love yeah. somebody, you wouldn't be just using them to push them around and push them away. Well, I mean... That's abs- I absolutely agree with you, but I also have issues with the way that Jamie loves Cersei and that oh, he yeah. doesn't even know he doesn't even know he doesn't know Cersei. Oh, <laughs> We've talked about this at length <laughs> yeah. before. But yeah, he, he sees her as his mirror image both externally and internally, yeah, and that's blatantly not true. Fish. And that's what he's coming to learn here. And I mean in this scene as Chicky said, Cersei's come with a mission. She's ready to manipulate and she's ready to use whatever she can to get Jamie to do her bidding. Let's get into um, that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I was just going to say, her, her manipulation is, yeah. it's really kind of twofold here. First, you kind of see Cersei appealing to Jamie as, you know, the father of her kids, as his role as protector. So, um, you know, she talks about they're going to force Tommen to marry Marjorie. He's, he's your son. When I think earlier she'd said my son, they're going to take my son away from me. Um, and then she sort of tells Jamie she, you know, she wants to keep Tommen safe. Uh, it's, it's really kind of blatant manipulation to me. Sorry, Ian, I know you wanted to say something. It's kind of past, but I was going to say that, um, what really sets the tone for Jamie really kind of biting back at her a little bit is just the mention of him leaving the Kingsguard. I yeah. think that really is yeah. setting the tone yeah. for this conversation. Absolutely. Jamie starts getting salty. So. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. Well, what it is so. is that he is finally becoming aware of the fact that she has her own agenda and that while he has usually been wrapped up in her agenda – um, in this case, she may not be taking his best interest into account. And and it's it's funny how he's just never really considered that before because their interests have always kind of aligned. And um, finally, they don't. Yeah, I was just going to say that is a, absolutely true and a really good point to make, I think. Um, because obviously, Jamie has seen her do this kind of thing before. He's seen her manipulate her way through life. But I don't think it's ever been aimed at him it's never really negatively affected him because as you say the interests have always aligned so i think 
combined with what's happened to Jamie now, he's sort of got this new perspective happening and now he can see what she's doing, I think, a bit more clearly. And it is pretty blatant in this scene as well because, like I said, she sort of starts appealing to his, you know, uh, the way he always sees himself as a protector. Well, and to that, his, you know, his fatherly we, feelings, his fatherly duties say, and his children, yeah. Yes, and his fatherly duties. Uh, and then when that doesn't work, she moves on to what she always moves on to, which is her, her mm-hmm. sex appeal or, her, you know, his love for her. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna um, continue on with the recap. I might actually repeat some of the things you guys just said, but uh, hopefully not too much. Um, Go for it. Okay. So um, she calls Toman his son. Um, he reminds her that she never allowed that. He thinks of how he should have been the one to kill Robert. Um, they discuss Bran and the man that was sent to kill them and kill him in his sleep. Um, Jamie surmises that it was Joffrey who was sent. Um, as the assassin who had sent the assassin uh, during the discussion Cersei takes off her hairnet and this is the beginning of the seduction <laughs> right? We, white snake starts playing slow can I, sorry can I just interrupt you for one second yes. and just um, when you talk about uh, because I had that discussion about what happened to Bran it's interesting to know yeah. that Jamie says I'm not ashamed of loving you, only of the things I've done to hide it, mm-hmm. the boy at Winterfell. So it's clear that Jamie actually does feel remorse about what he did yes. to Bran. Which well, I think it's, is- it's, a, it's a direct line it, into it, Jamie's current point of view as, as regards their relationship, which is yeah. um, he's sick of hiding who they are and yeah. what they are. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, isn't this the whole thing? It's kind of the crux of the issue. Um, and I talked about this in last week's podcast, how the Jamie-Cersei relationship is destructive rather than constructive, and it really affects everyone around them. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that um, that bit last time you guys were talking about the relationship. That was good. It was and it's of- true. It's true that Jamie has come to the conclusion, the same conclusion that Tyrion reached um, before, yeah. right before the Purple Wedding, which is that, you know, it probably was Joffrey who had sent this um, yeah. very clumsy assassin after Bran Stark. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else yeah. to say it. Would you ever have guessed that it was going to be Joffrey? That was the one not that... At that I feel like it's retcon, dude. I really do. Yeah, I've always felt stage. like this was retcon. I think it was meant to be either Jamie or Cersei who sent the assassin, and I think that George rethought it, hmm. frankly. Was yeah. it Joffrey, though? Like, he's just thinking it was. We don't really know if it was well, Joffrey. I think we, Tyrion and Jamie think that it's yeah. Joffrey. I think it's pretty clear that it was. I think it, it probably is meant to George, be at this point, intends it to be Joffrey, but I, I kind of feel like... You don't think it was when he was writing When he was writing A Game of Thrones, I don't think George intended it to be Joffrey who sent this um, mm-hmm. sword or whoever assassin. Yeah. Well, yeah, J- uh, Jamie's thinking it was Joffrey because he's thinking it was Joffrey trying to make robert proud right didn't he have a yeah. lot about hungry yeah. cat on the head Yay. but this of course yeah. follows Tyrion. when is it it's right before the purple wedding is it at that breakfast that they have i can't remember but Tyrion has this moment when joffrey is bragging about understanding valerian steel and knowing valerian steel oh. but it's very clear to Tyrion that that joffrey is the one who sent yeah. the um assassin after bran stark oh, um Tyrion had this realization before the purple wedding and and now Jamie's having the same. Yeah. Well, speaking of the purple wedding, that's um, Cersei kind of uses it a bit to try to garner some sympathy with Jamie, and she's trying to describe the way Joff died. Uh, 
And uh, then at this point, she gets on her knees in front of Jamie and begs him not to let Tywin take Tormund from her too. She doesn't just get on her knees. She takes his good hands between both of hers. She doesn't want to touch the other one, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, She she wants him to agree to leave the King's Guard in exchange for her being allowed to stay. Um, So there you go again, the conflict of... She's not really yeah. caring what happens to him. It's about yeah. her. Well, and I love how she knows this. She knows that Tywin wants Jamie out of the King's Guard. She doesn't ever say it, but it's very clear that she understands that this is a conflict that Jamie and, and oh, Tywin absolutely. are having. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, Jamie tells her he is not leaving the King's Guard, and um, she tells him. Ty- and then it's, it's time for <laughs> time for this to reveal. She goes <laughs> another avenue, right? She tells yeah. Wow, this is when she shakes out her hair. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she tells him that Tywin plans to marry her off. And this, of course, causes some oh, no. considerable pain for him and the thought of her being married away. Um, Jamie wants her to tell Tywin that Jamie is the only one she wants. Cersei calls him mad, quite rightly so. Bad idea, Jamie. <laughs> She tries to prove how much she wants him to by unlacing his breeches, and uh, he pushes her hand away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is is Jamie wrong? No, well, go. Is Jamie wrong, or is it just that Jamie doesn't care about power? Cersei cares about keeping throne, and if you don't care about keeping throne, is what Jamie opposes a bad idea. It's a bad idea. They're going to get killed if they, like... Why, yeah. though? Who will kill them? I mean, I mean, yeah, Tywin is controlling everything at this point. Yeah. Yeah, the Lannisters They, they really hold all the cards. Uh, so, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, really about, it's really about holding the throne. If, if you absolutely. care about holding the throne, it's very important that Jamie and Cersei not reveal themselves. If you don't care about holding the throne, I don't think that Jamie's wrong. I've really never thought that Jamie was wrong here, and I, I kind of assume that George doesn't want you to think that Jamie's wrong about this. I really think if, if, if they were to reveal themselves, who's going to come against them? Who's going to go and besiege them, say at Casterly Rock? I don't think anyone would. I don't think it would be Dragons worth it for anyone in Westeros. Daenerys. No. <laughs> Daenerys isn't there though. There is no Daenerys. <laughs> I've just made a little shit. <laughs> <laughs> there is no, no Daenerys. I really think Jamie has a point, And that is, that is basically, if you're willing to give up this power obsession, we could be together. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think he's wrong about it. I think it's really difficult to say that he is wrong. I don't think that he's wrong, in fact, because it's will accept this from the highest level of power. They will accept a brother-sister relationship. It's been proven. And, um, yeah, I think Jamie kind of gets written off as crazy about this, but it's funny because everything else Jamie does isn't crazy or isn't insane and, and really isn't crazy what he's saying. Or is it just we will have to give something up in order to be together? I don't know. I, I, I hear your points. And I understand where you're coming from. I still think it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea if you want to keep the throne, for sure. Yeah, I would say now, especially at this point, with the terrible forces, even if they came out, it would it would be it could be bad because the terrible forces too in King's Landing right now. Of course, derives from Tom as well at this point, or Joffrey. I mean, why the chills against them? I mean, I don't know. I, I hear make this argument of the, the politics going on. I actually think Jamie. I think if you don't care about holding the Iron Throne, I think Jamie might be the correct one here. 
Yeah, but I'm she does. Her. Maybe that. Yeah, maybe that. I mean, she does. That's like she does care. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's that's the general idea here. Is what George <laughs> is saying is that Jamie is really only interested in Cersei. He really just wants to be with the woman he loves, whereas Cersei is really just interested in power, and she will do anything to hold on to it. Right. I don't think Cersei would want to take that gamble because she knows that her kids. They're supposed to be Baratheon kids, and that's where her power comes, and she just, that's just too much of a gamble that she'd want to even take. I guess, yeah, maybe that's where the bad idea is coming from. Like, Jamie's not realizing who his sister is, and um, the more he, like, the more he realizes who she is and how much she's not willing to give up for him. Um, well, I guess that's that's where we're going to go with their story, the fracture that happens. Hmm. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, she so tries- this, I mean, I was oh. just going to say, this is somewhat of a mirror of the sept sex um, that we got earlier in the book. Uh, and Cersei even calls back to it, I think, saying that when, when Jamie rejects her, she says to him, you know, the situation's no different. Uh, but it is different, I guess, because this is Jamie's place of work. <laughs> and he, he <laughs> feels really strongly about, I guess, staining the white cloak again. Um I, I mean, it is it is a mirror to me because obviously back in the sept, Cersei was saying "not here, not here," and here Jamie's saying "no, not here." Right. Um, I guess I can kind of excuse Jamie pushing ahead back in the sept, not only because uh, he'd been kind of starved of sex for a year or so, and he's just really, really into it, but also because Cersei was clearly into it as well. Um, here, Jamie really doesn't want a bar of it. He's really adamant that they not do this here, and Cersei doesn't seem to care. No, definitely a differing uh, opinion on what is sacred. It's the honor thing with Jamie here. I Absolutely. mean, it's very clear that there's an honor issue for him. Yeah. As far as and desecrating the White Sword Tower. And yeah. I doubt that Jamie has ever denied her whenever it comes to sex. I mean, he's always Absolutely. been there for her. And whenever she's ready to have it, he's he's more than willing to do. To yeah, and that's evident, by it, the way. That's, her reaction. that's evident in the way that Cersei responds. She's confused and she's scared at first because this has clearly always worked for her before. Um, what is she supposed to do now? And I guess the answer to that is she gets angry and offensive because she goes on this <laughs> ranting diatribe of insults against Jamie. Yeah, yeah, it gets yeah. quite ugly. Let's go on to that bit. Um, <clears throat> so um, she tries to prove how much she wants him by, I think I did this bit already, but she gets pissed anyway when he rejects her and um, asks is Whitey was alluding to asked if he had lost his manhood along with his hand um, she calls him a coward for refusing to avenge Joffrey he tells her he doesn't believe Tyrion did it that Tyrion wouldn't lie to him any more than she would and I was like oh Jamie <laughs> you fool um, she yeah. makes a comment have, have, have we even really mentioned that they've been talking about Tyrion and that you know, she's obviously very adamant that that Tyrion was the one that killed Joffrey, and and Jamie <laughs> kind of is a bit iffy about that. He's not sure. Yeah, she's and that this to... continues to be an issue between them. Yeah, clearly, it's a huge that, issue that Jamie refuses to hold Tyrion responsible and refuses to kill Tyrion as she wishes. Yeah, this is a big. This is really a crisis of Jamie's loyalty to his 
sibling. Well, we saw in the last chapter she has not been alone with him, and you can kind of assume that it's until this very moment. She hasn't allowed Jamie to be yeah. alone with her since he refused yeah. to kill Tyrion for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she makes a comment about he can have Tyrion's... Oh, this was part was awful. She can He can have Tyrion's head for a keepsake, and he can mm-hmm. keep it over his bed where he can keep watch over him until his eyes rot out. She also she also does say to him that Tyrion's lied to Jamie a thousand times, and then she says, "And so have I," which is a bit of a foreshadow to what happened. Yes, I'm totally. Yeah, she she does. Yeah, yeah, she says, "This is the line, you great golden fool. He's lied to you a thousand times, and so have I." Yes, and doesn't he tell her that she's a golden fool also? He will in feast. He does later. Yeah, he does later. But what this is, is it's kind of it's kind of a mirror of what Tyrion has talked about so much in his chapters, which is that there's mm. there's a Cersei that that Jamie gets and there's a Cersei that Tyrion gets. Yeah. And Jamie is finally getting the Cersei that Tyrion gets, which is the Cersei who's not happy, who who doesn't doesn't like what you're doing to her or for her. And that's what Jamie is finally getting and finally seeing here. And you get a feeling that though he's seen this Cersei, this Cersei has never been directed at him. Right. Exactly. It's if if you're no longer of use to Cersei, this is the Cersei you get. Right. Right. It's ugly. Mm, um, it's really ugly. Yeah. So after the um, the Tyrion head comment, that's when we see Jamie starting to get really pissed, and uh, Cersei is all class act. She says, mm. um, "An angry cripple is not that scary," and then makes fun of his flaccid dick. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we did have this anon comment on our Tumblr page, and um, they were saying, "Please pay attention to Xerxes' description of Jamie's cock." I think she said it was very small. Do you think it's true, Xerxes, an unreliable narrator? Uh, I think in this circumstance, Cersei is just being. Total bitch. I don't think it's actually yeah. reflective of the size of Jamie's manhood. You would have to think it's probably breezy in there. It is a castle. And oh, plus, during cold. this conversation, he, he has like become flaccid. Okay, okay I'm I just, sure he's flaccid at this point. Whitey I mean, is our first metaphor correspondent. Eon is our penis correspondent. Oh, no. You need to ask Mister Eon about this. <laughs> Can we get your husband to weigh in there, Eon? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. I think if you have like an angry woman, like furious with you and calling you a cripple, and yeah. I think anybody's penis is going to be a little small. <laughs> yeah, unless you're into that sort of thing, you're going to be deflated, and you're going to walk right into this this phrase that Jamie uses that is. So beautiful and so poignant, which is I've lost a hand, a father, a son, a sister, and a lover, and soon enough I will lose a brother, and yet they keep telling me that House Lannister won this war. Isn't that Um, especially... I think it's especially poignant, that thought, considering that of all the Lannisters, it's Jaime who values his family above everything else. So to him... Exactly. He's not into the power. For him, it's his family. So when he loses his family, to him it's akin to losing the war. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'm glad you read that because I actually had that one written out too. So I, I haven't memorized. God fucking knows how. Yeah, but I <laughs> you said it perfectly. I was like reading right along with you, and you were saying it. Your brain is amazing. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so Cersei leaves and uh, Jamie puts his dick away. Then Jamie comes <laughs> down and he finds Sir Boris, tells him to get Sir Loris and that he is ready to see her. Um, Boris isn't sure who, who her, her, her. is. <laughs> but goes to fetch Loris anyway. Um, several hours later, Loris returns with Brienne. And Hang I- on, he doesn't just return with Brienne, he returns with the big ugly maid, because that's a <laughs> thing that Jamie does. <laughs> I love the comparison. Is- what is it? The, the handsome youth and the big hand- ugly Slim handsome, handsome youth. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is about the seventy sixth time Jamie has referred to Brienne as ugly, and he seems kind of fixated on it for some reason. <laughs> In case we missed it. In case we missed it. Uh, so yeah, okay. Uh, it seems Brienne's story has convinced Loris about the uh, shadow and Renly. <clears throat> Jamie observes uh, Brienne's, um, that she's in women's clothing, a blue dress, and he remarks it's a good color, that it goes well with her eyes. They are astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, can I just point I love- out that Jamie has gone from, in his first chapter, thinking that Brienne's eyes are pretty, and now they've gone all the way up to astonishing. <laughs> I wonder what they're going to be in their next meeting. <laughs> It's escalating. <laughs> it's escalating. Fuckable. <laughs> what, what I love about this is how Jamie and Brienne don't address one another directly until after Loras okay. has left them. Yeah. I like that too. It's a really yeah, good setup. Yeah, well, it's a really good setup for what this scene is. And it's important, I feel, to take this scene in context. And the context is where they left one another last. I mean, the last time that Jamie and Brienne saw one another, it was when they arrived at King's Landing, and it was when Loris was accusing her of murdering Renly and, and wanted to kill her and then wanted her arrested, and, and Jamie goes along with that to protect her, as we know, being in his head. But Brienne views um, him having her arrested as a betrayal, and we see that from Jamie's point of view, that Brienne's um, big blue eyes are full of hurt, and... Um, He's so upset because she is uh, misunderstanding what he's trying to do, which is protect her. And he's he he says, why does everyone always misunderstand me? And, of course, he really means Brienne. He hates that Brienne misunderstands him. And you have to take this, this forthcoming scene in that context, the context where Jamie and Brienne left one another last, which is basically that Brienne assumes that Jamie has betrayed her. Yeah, and we're going to see that come up yeah. a lot in this scene. And- and Jamie is upset because that is her assumption. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I too, I really liked um, Brienne's uh, reaction to when Jamie, you know, says that it, the dress goes well with her eyes and it's described yeah. that she's she flustered. Gets flustered. <laughs> yeah. It's very cute. And I like the way that they kind of exchange compliments. They kind of like, um, <laughs> I guess, teenagers going on their first date a little bit. You it's get that so kind of awkward. He, yeah, he compliments her eyes. She tells him that the white cloak becomes him. He puts um, a massage all... on her wrist. <laughs> but it's also like, small talk. You know how it's... If she meant to flee at, at any second. Yeah, yeah it, but it's small does. talk. It's avoiding anything serious. They're, they're doing small talk here of, of how they look and the physicality and everything. Um, and they're avoiding anything serious. They haven't spoken to one another when she first came in with Loris because they have unfinished business between them, which is basically they ended in a fight when last they left one another. And it's important to keep that in mind as you kind of like jump into this scene, I think. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I agree with you, Chicky. I do. I just think it's really cute in a, a very teenage kind of way. And it's, you certainly do get the vibe that things are, are tense between them. They're awkward. They're strange. Yeah. And I love how he does keep track of her physicality in the scene because he, he, he notes her hesitancy. He notes her wariness. He notes that she is feeling uncomfortable and awkward. And that's important because she's not sure where she stands with him. She's been getting so many mixed messages from him since they basically since the first moment they met the, the bloody mummers. Every message that he has sent her is completely mixed. And it's one minute she thinks that that they're allies and then the next he's mocking her or something. And she doesn't know where she stands with him. And that's so clear in this scene that she's not sure where she stands. Yeah. She doesn't know because he doesn't know. Exactly. Is... Thank you. Uh, sure <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> um, and, and then there's this great line where uh, he tells her to close the door and come here. <laughs> Yay, <laughs> shout out! Yay. Yay. <laughs> can we um, use some 70s porno music at this? <laughs> we sure can. <laughs> I'll have to look some up. <laughs> can't, we, can't we just play candy liquor here? <laughs> this is a line that comes in the context of them checking one another out. First he checks her out and then she is clearly uh, checking him out. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> I've got to say that when she does compliment the white cloak because she says it becomes you, um, that immediately um, is after Jamie kind of deriding himself, saying, oh, it's, it's new, the cloak, but I'll, I'm sure I'll soil it soon enough. So it's kind of like Brienne immediately recognises that it's a painful thing for him, I guess, and she immediately tries to comfort him by saying, you know, no, you didn't sew all the white cloak, not in my eyes, it becomes you. So, yes, she's checking him out, but she's also kind of trying to comfort him in her way, which I think is really lovely. There's and also, maybe come to terms with some things. Yeah. <laughs> There's also to this bit where um, she asks him if he told Loris that she had honor, which I thought was such a, a great telling line because yeah, yeah. it shows how much she thinks of him to wonder if he believes she has honor. It's important yeah, of course, to be so seen important. and to be understood. This is this is an ongoing yeah. thing with the two of them, which is, yeah. do you understand me? And does anyone yeah. understand me? And and of course, we see as from kind of a meta perspective that the unique thing about these two is that they actually do both see and understand one another. And you're seeing the beginning of this. But of course, that line that she gives him, this yes. moment where she asks him, did you mean what you said? Um feeds into Jamie's feeling that she doesn't just believe that he means the best for her. This is a continuation to him of what happened in their last scene together, which is basically that she is not, she's not believing that he means the best for her. And he just runs with it. You can almost feel that he has pre-planned this conversation. (laughs) I mean, he's ready to go with responses for everything that comes for pretty much the first half of what they're about to talk about in this exchange. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of brushes, he brushes the comment off and then immediately he starts telling her about um, Steel Shanks and how he's there taking, you know, fake Arya to the north to marry Ramsay. Well, he doesn't say it's fake Arya because Brienne gets upset at the news. and um, He deliberately frames it, though, that so that she assumes that it is the real Arya right. and then that he yeah. can explain that it's the fake Arya. He wants her to think that. He wants her to make this false assumption. And then for him to come back and say, no, it isn't the real Arya. He, he, it's like that thing that you do where like, you know what a good hurt is? Like when you have a split lip or something and you kind of like put your tongue on that spot where it's like split and it's like, it's a good hurt. It's like a strange pain. That's a good thing. And it's almost like he is 
nicking at a wound or something like that, where he wants to feel this feeling of her not believing in him. And he continues it throughout a big chunk of this conversation. You're absolutely right. It is pretty much exactly what is happening here. He is essentially goading her into thinking that he is, he is doing these kind of evil things. He's, you know, he doesn't, he could have immediately told her, you know, okay, it's not Aria, it's actually this other girl. Um, and I think he later on he also. totally could have, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He should have led with that. <laughs> yeah. so I think you're right, you're right. He is, he is courting this response from Brienne because, and I he think you're absolutely right. absolutely is, yes. It's, I think it might, I don't know, do you think maybe it's, too much for him to have her believe in his honor is that something I, that is too much I think for it's him partly to feel? that I think it's partly that and that he almost wants to feed into her point of view of him it's it's you know mm. strange psychological condition where yeah when you know someone thinks ill of you you almost want to make them say what they think of you and that is the position yeah, that I he's think, at her they have reached right. a strange kind of like camaraderie a... on the road from, from Hall to King's Landing, they had reached this strange camaraderie where it's like she had begun to understand that he meant her well. And all of a sudden, as soon as they reached King's Landing, he's trying to protect her by having her arrested, but she interprets it entirely wrong in his point of view. And yep. he's a teenager. He's a teenager inside, and he, he takes that entirely wrong. He hates it that she misunderstands him. Yeah. And I feel like he's... this is just entirely an extension of that because you can see every response he has clearly looks to me like someone he's already thought about. He has planned this conversation. It's controlled hurt. <laughs> yeah, it is it controlled hurt. It is, you're right. And he is kind of like laying down the gauntlet by kind of going, hey, I'm going to prove you right. You're right. It's very exactly. much uh, That's it, yeah, I'm going to prove you right. Yeah, yeah, it's very much an emotionally immature kind of response. He is protecting himself in a way. Yes. So he doesn't have an emotion. It's kind of like taking this Yeah, it's like, yes, I, I know this is just probably what you're going to think of me anyway so here you go have at it bingo that's exactly it that's exactly what this is to me yeah because he's sending her away and i mean they've kind of bonded over this journey and everything and he's sure that he'll never see her again Mm, yeah yeah anyway uh so she reminds jamie of his oath and uh he reminds her that the oath was taken at sword point and uh he then he reveals that it's not actually aria anyway she asks him why he's betraying his father's secret, and uh, he says he intends to pay his debts. And uh, they talk about the trial a little bit, and if she had seen it, she says she could hear it. Uh, Jamie thinks Tyrion is innocent, and um, Sansa is the one that poisoned um, Joffrey. Bran defends Sansa for the second time in their exchange, and uh, he says, There is the stubborn, stupid wench that I remember. <laughs> My name is... Brienne of Tarth, Jamie mm-hmm. sighed. <laughs> he, he I do t- love oh. how, like, she's, like, while she's listen to, listening to him um, go over Tyrion's trial and everything, she's really she's really sympathizing with him, and, and you know, she's going, yeah. you, do, you do not believe he did it. Yeah, she knows. She, she knows yeah, him. She yeah. knows him, and she... Basically, there's nothing in Jamie's words when he's telling her about Tyrion to suggest that he doesn't believe Tyrion killed Joffrey. But Brienne can tell anyway, either through the tone of Jamie's voice or his body language or both. So it's just another little hint of as to how well they know and understand each other. 
Well, and to me, that moment reads as the moment where Jamie starts to lose a little bit of control of the conversation because yeah. so much of what's gone before, you can tell he's decided. He's decided that he's going to give her the impression that he's sending Arya Stark north and then slowly going to reveal it isn't actually Arya. And, and you can feel that he has intended her to misread him because he is playing into this idea that she has mm-hmm. that he is a man without honor. And this is the moment where you kind of feel that he starts to to lose control of their exchange because I she actually completely cuts through his bullshit yeah. and says, I was about to no, say, I can tell you don't think your brother did this. She yeah. sees right through him and that really affects him. He's, it's, you're right, it's not going the way he's planned. She actually knows him far too well and that worries him and you, you really can kind of feel the shift in Jamie's thoughts there. He, I guess, I don't know, it kind of... He feel I, it felt kind of like resignation to me, and that's when he goes to give her the gift, the sword. Right. Yeah. So oath keeper. Something he has oath. clearly planned from the beginning. Like, oh, there's no absolutely. question he has planned this oath keeper reveal and exchange, and he wants this to be the moment where he reveals to her that he yes. means good things for her, and that he has intended something yeah. good, and that he is intending to to keep these oaths that. You know, as we yeah. saw him joke on the road, he, he knows that everyone assumes he's not going to keep this. And he's going to. And he's he's going to help her. And, and he yes, Shiki, and this yes, when he gives her the sword, he does say, <laughs> the blade comes with a price, <laughs> which is another, another this way. This is clearly it. another term he's planned. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. He, has, <laughs> he has thought about this. I mean, don't don't walk into this exchange thinking that Jamie hasn't decided how he's going to frame so much of this because he has there's no other reason for him to do this this way there's no way that jamie wasn't aware of how Brienne would respond to him saying this gift comes with the price no possible way <laughs> and of course she immediately does jump on that she she snaps at him and she tells him i'm not gonna serve the lannisters how dare you <laughs> she takes the bait she takes his bait yeah. yeah she does as he knew that she would because not only does she know him but he knows her yeah. Well, I don't know that he for sure thought that she would. It seems like he is genuinely angry that she does, but he set her up to take it because it's almost well, as though he's testing her. I think he knew. I think that he was he would Maybe. have been angry. He would have been angry anyway because I I, I don't know it's Jamie is so complicated and I just, I feel like... I was going to say, maybe on a subconscious level, he was even setting it up because it would be easier to say goodbye to her if they were... I think that probably Leaving angry with each other. Yeah. Well, not even necessarily leaving angry, but I feel like, because he knows this is going to be goodbye. And I think on some subconscious level, yes, that's painful for him. So um, I guess that would make him, I guess, a little bit short with her and, and angry as well. And, yes, I mean, if they – I guess it's not a bad point, actually, a lot, that if they leave leave things angry between them, uh, maybe the parting won't be as painful. Yeah. Who knows? Jamie is so layered. It's that, right? I'm pretty sure there's about five things going on in his brain. Yeah. Well, and because we know neither of them will look back at this as an angry parting. No, well, no, they won't. Neither of them will Despite view it Jamie's- that way. Despite Jamie's best efforts, uh, I think both of them will look back at this as a really, I don't know, a really pivotal uh, moment, I guess, in their relationship. I don't think Brienne's... Well, what it is, 
it's Brienne coming to the realization that Jamie does mean to keep his oath, that he he does yeah. mean well for her and not only for her but also for Sansa. She's realizing this just as he's becoming annoyed that she will continue to assume what's what's yeah. the worst of his nature, basically. Um, it's interesting how this happens, you know, like he becomes fed up with her continuing to assume the worst, just as she is realizing that she should be assuming the best. It's amazing how this is framed actually. Right. Um, And and from this point they will jump off and it's funny how neither of them will think of their parting as, as a particularly, you know, acrimonious parting. They don't, they don't either one of them view it that way. No, it doesn't ever come up again. Look at what's actually happening here. What's happening and what they will remember this as is that Jamie is entrusting Brienne with his honour and Brienne is, that's the only thing she's going to remember here. She's going to remember that he gave her this priceless gift and he trusts her enough and believes in her capabilities as a warrior enough to actually send her on this quest for his honour. That's exactly it. And that he's decided ahead of time what he wants her to call the sword. He's asking her, please call this Oath Keeper. And I mean, you know, obviously on a meta level, this has to do with both of them trying to fulfill their oath to Catelyn. But I mean, like, if you look at it, it's very clearly an homage to her being an Oath Keeper. I mean, he has just earlier in this conversation tried to say, oh, I don't really care if you killed Renly or not. But we know that he doesn't Mm -hmm. think that she does. He views her as the Oath Keeper. And he is naming this sword to me, in my interpretation, he's naming this sword for her. Brienne is the oath keeper and he is giving Absolutely. her the sword. And, and she is you know, the only one that this. Can, yeah, she's she the is only the one, one that he can trust because yes, he, he really does believe in her honor. She is honorable. I think he said it before to the point of kind of stupidity in some way. Stupidity, yeah, he does keep, say stupidity. She will keep a vow no matter what. It is that important to her. Um, so he I've is, yes, by giving her this tar- by giving her this quest, by giving her this priceless gift, he is saying, I believe in your honor, I trust you with mine. And oh, yeah, I saw Eon. Eon was sorry. Hey, Chicky, I'm back. He let me do my job. <laughs> I mean, it, this is pretty much, it's like the classic maiden giving the knight a favor to send off on their totally quest. Is. Yeah, it yes. really is. And I just, I mean, can we go back to the presentation of the sword? Yes. Yes. I mean, and whenever you get it's crimson, it's in folds yes. of crimson. Folds and crimson. Folds yes. and in, in folds crimson of crimson velvet. velvet. That's, that's hot. <laughs> I mean, I totally have that note, Eon. I was going to let it go. <laughs> but yeah, he, listen to this. Jamie reaches for his sword. It's wrapped in folds of crimson velvet. Yes. What an odd bit of imagery yes. that is. It's pretty and sexy. she approaches it as if it's about to bite her. It's Barry Wyatt. Yes. Bow chicka bow wow. Yeah, so anyway, that's an interesting piece of imagery. But okay. to go back to what we were saying. Yeah. Well, I was just, it's interesting that... Um, he even tells her that, you know, the blade was um, forged from Ned Stark's sword and it was ice. Yeah, that's really lovely. And it's fitting that she uses it now to save Sansa from Cersei. Just the fact that he would vocalize that, that it's actually him. Yeah, and you know what Jamie's doing here is he's, he's actively, he's not just, um, I guess, 
not acting in his family's best interest. He's acting against his family here by by sending Brienne on this quest. Particularly Cersei. Cersei. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so he gave her his sword. And she liked it. She wrapped her mind around it. And she loves it. We, we get this great exchange where it's very clear, and, and this is something that kind of comes up sometimes in discussion oh, about Jamie Brienne. She has no doubt that Joffrey is is Jamie's son, and she brings this yeah. up, and she yeah. says, yeah. You, you know, she doesn't specifically say it, but it's very obvious what she's alluding to, which is, you know, Jamie was, or Joffrey was your son, you know, are, are you okay with me going and saving the woman, the girl that you think killed him? Yeah. And this is meaningful. This is intense because this is Jamie and Brienne at a level of understanding that really you don't see either one of them have with anyone else. Right. Yeah, no, that's true because, um, I mean, I think he responds to that by saying, uh, Joff was, wasn't really my son, you know, he was well, just it's uh, more poetic than see. that. It's yeah, like, I don't want to read so it. So poetic, yeah, read uh, it a lot. He thinks Josh is no more to him than a squirt of seed in Cersei's cunt. <laughs> good line. And then that um, racket, good line. Says, <laughs> he also says, and because he deserved to die. And as Chicky yes. said, this is them, this is Jamie and Brienne laying everything out on the table. This is them stripped bare. And Jamie actually follows that by saying to Brienne, I have made kings and unmade them. Sansa Stark is my last chance for honour. And this is some really, this is like a really painful truth for Jamie that he is, he's just been completely honest with Brienne now. And I guess it all becomes too much for him again, sort of sharing this part of his soul with her because he then follows it by saying, besides Kingslayer should band together, are you ever going to yeah. go? Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's he can't him. deal. He cannot deal I was with this. Say, this is Jamie being this is Jamie reverting back to his sarcastic, flippant right. self because he is probably feeling some sort of whirlwind of emotion right now. And it's nice um, that Brienne's response to that is, "I will find oh, the girl beautiful. and yeah. keep her safe for her lady mother's sake and for yeah. yours." So Brienne is going to keep it for Catelyn. She's going to keep it for Jamie, who she loves and who she believes deserves this last chance at honour. And she's going to see that he gets it or she's going to die trying. And spoiler alert, she almost does. Oh, God. Um, well, and and she I think has it, a hard it time means, trusting and yet she's trusting what he's yeah. telling her. She, she's she is. And I think, easily. I think what's happening is it just means the world to Brienne that Jamie would entrust her with this really important thing to him. And she knows it's important to him because he's just told her. He's told her, this is my last chance for honour. Please name this sword over. This, I, I, I believe in you. I am trusting you with my honour, this thing that is really important to me. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's very emotional. It's very emotional for the both of them. Yeah. And of course, Jamie throughout the scene deals with it as Jamie does yeah. by well, and it's snarky. Finally, and it's important to say before we close out this chapter that you have Jamie dealing with two of the most important people in his life. And it's very clear that Brienne is one of the most important people in his life at this mm-hmm. point. And um, he has not been honest with one. Cersei, he hasn't you know, breathe the word to Cersei about what he intends to hear. And yet to Brienne, he yeah. has been completely forthright and honest and said, this is, you know, this is how I feel about Tyrion, that he didn't do this. And I want you to go and to completely subvert what Cersei's trying to do, which is capture Sansa yeah. and kill her 
as a co-conspirator in Joffrey's murder. I want you to go save her. Right. And it's really important to keep that in mind moving forward. Absolutely. So after she leaves Jamie, um, he lights a candle and opens the white book. And he writes of his defeat at the Whispering Woods, his captivity at River Run, um, how he was freed for a promise unfulfilled, captured again. And then he writes of his maiming and returned safely to King's Landing by Brienne, the maid of Tarth. After he finishes, he thinks of how more than three quarters of the page remains and uh, how he can now write whatever he likes. So, whatever he chose. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Oh. And you know what I really love about this little bit is that it is Brienne, I think. He's meeting with Brienne. What's just gone down that has inspired him. It's really lifted him. And it's a nice mirror to his earlier scene with Cersei, which, let's face it, would have been a real downer. And this is the first time that we've really seen Jamie appear hopeful since he's had his hand chopped off. And it's because of Brienne. No matter how confusing or infuriating or, or painful their interaction may have been for him. He's really hopeful here. It's really lovely. Do you ever get the feeling... Oh, go ahead, Ian, and then I'll go. I just love that he wrote Brienne in the white book. Right. Yeah. Knowing Dunk's in there, too. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, do you ever sometimes feel like George is just setting us up? Like, this is... He's leading us on. Like, we're thinking Jamie's going to have this big redemption... Um. I get I get worried because <laughs> I get worried with George's writing that he's just setting us up I for mean, heartbreak. I, I think he is setting us up for heartbreak, but I think his redemption will come. Jamie's redemption will come. I think it might come at the cost of his life. I don't know. Yeah. Anybody else? I mean, hasn't it already come? I don't know. I feel well, like Jamie has worked hard to redeem. I mean, I, I don't, think, I don't necessarily believe in the redemption arc, but I think Jamie, Jamie has changed his priorities. It's very clear at this point uh-huh. that Jamie's priorities have changed, and for Jamie to change his priorities from his family's um, best interest and well-being to anyone else's best interest and well-being is a pretty That's marked a change. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. And I you see that right you'd... here at the end of A Storm of Swords. You see that he is choosing Sansa and Brienne's well-being, and, and make no mistake, he is sending sending Brienne out of King's Landing also to protect her. I mean, like there's no doubt Absolutely. at the end of, at the end of the chapter before this, he's saying he has other debts to pay and it's not just the debt to Catelyn. It's also the debt to Brienne. He wants to, he wants to protect her. He wants to get out, get her out of the mess that she's in with Loras to send her on her way and to keep her safe before he makes this move that he's about to make that we're about to see, which he very well knows could end in his death. He wants to wrap up some loose ends before yeah. he does that. And Brienne is, and is think- that final loose end. People often talk in terms of, you know, he needs to pay for what he did to Bran. I feel like having his hand chopped off is probably at least partially goes some way to uh, having having him pay for that. But also the fact that we do see in this in this very chapter that Jamie does actually feel a great deal of remorse about what happened to Bran. Yeah. Um, but I think I agree with you, Chicky. I think that I don't know whether there's going to be some big event that means jamie's now redeemed i don't think it it won't i don't necessarily think it's going to go down that way i think as you say he's on the path to redemption or whatever's happening you see that change in his perspective already um and yes it's very important that he is now choosing his honor he's choosing other people over what was most important to him which was his family I i guess i just hope he stays on that path I think he will. I hope so. I think, so. I think the big thing is going to be with Brienne. But anyway, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yep. 
Okay, so we um, finished the uh, Jamie chapter, but we have a bonus chapter. Um, well, a bit, of, a bit of a chapter. A little bit. <laughs> little bit. Um, we're going to talk about um, Tyrion. Um, uh, Tyrion's chapter. What, uh, can anyone remind me what Tyrion chapter is this? I can't remember the number, but it's, it's just the last it's one of Summerford's. Yeah. Okay, it's <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to give a trigger warning as well because there's a bit of rape discussion in this bit. Um, so we see Tyrion in his cell, um, and he calls the person who's entering the cell a poxy whore, and JB remarks, is that... No, 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 son son of a poxy whore. Son of a poxy whore, you're right. (laughs) Is that any way to speak about our mother? I love that. I love that they kind of had that in the show. And that that was in the show, yeah, Yeah, that was in the show. Similar anyway. Tyrion has actually been in the black cells with where it's just pitch black, too. I know. So whenever he sees the torch and everything... It's almost blinding to him, and right. he hasn't used Absolutely. his voice. And the, I mean, he's just, yeah. He even has a comment a bit about how he's kind of going a bit, like, his mind, his uh, his thoughts are muddled. Like, because he's been in basically, like you said, isolated confinement for so long. Anyway, um, Tyrion's surprised that it's Jamie, and he says, you... Uh, well, most of me. Tyrion sees the stump and laughs. <laughs> and then he has the line, handless and noseless, the Lannister boys. Aww. Aww. I love them. Uh, Jamie looks at Tyrion's scar and uh, they speak about the incident of the black water with the wildfire. Tyrion asks if Jamie, ask Jamie if there is, if he's there to kill him. I thought that was so sad. Wasn't that sad? Yeah. That Tyrion would and ask that. I think it, this scene is amazing in several ways, but what I really love about it is the way that it's really a dark, dark scene, but both of the boys are dealing with it with their own particular brand of humour. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to kind of shy away from the grimness of it all. It's, yeah. it's really great. It's touching. Um, yeah. Jamie tells him that he's there to rescue him, and uh, there are sleeping guards outside. Varys has doused their wine with sweet sleep. Jamie tells Tyrion he will go through the sewers to the river where a galley is waiting to take him to the free cities. Uh, Jamie gives Tyrion a kiss on each cheek and tells Tyrion not to thank him, that it was a debt he owed him. Bad move, bad move. <laughs> can, I, can I just bring us back just a little bit? Yeah. Um, I was just talking about how they're resorting to humour. I don't think we really talked about any of the quotes, but essentially every time someone raises a serious point, uh, the other one will respond with some like, by cracking some kind of joke. Um, Typical Lannisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Like when Lot, you said that Tyrion says, are you here to kill me? Jamie responds, that's ungrateful. Perhaps I should leave you here to rot if you're going to be so discourteous. <laughs> uh, so that is par for the course. And it's really just a lovely little scene between two brothers who clearly adore each other and are also very comfortable around each other and, and know each other so well. Um, I don't know. I just love these these boys so much, which is <laughs> obviously then what happens is very disturbing to me and I'm sure everyone. Yeah, no, um, I love this interaction too because it, it, very, it very much makes it clear um, the brotherly level of relationship that these two yeah. have. Yeah. And that it, it's not false, and it's it's not Jamie just being nice to Tyrion or or, no. or or throwing him some scraps or some bones. We've seen throughout Jamie's no. chapters that he thinks about Tyrion often, and this makes it clear just just how much they care about one another. And it also makes yeah. it clear that you know this is their way of of dealing with things. This is a very Lannister yeah. way of, of not acknowledging, hey, this is a this is an emotionally charged moment that we're having. You're yeah. on death row and about to be beheaded. Yes. You know they're not really talking about that. <laughs> They're, and it also makes it jokes. clear 
It also makes it clear just how much Tyrion relies on Jaime to be his protector, um, and he always has. And it's very telling that Jamie is here, that he is actually coming to save his brother. He's very serious about it. Um, because this is, this is the essence of Jamie. Even now that he has no hand, he will always act to protect his people because his people are the only thing that matter to him. If and he he's always you, taken, that's all that if he loves you, he will, he will come to your aid no matter whether he thinks he's got a good chance of saving you or not. He will, he's Unless willing to die for the <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I'm just not saying it's important to remember this as we go into the feast chapters yeah. because yes. if Jamie loves you, he doesn't care if he would, if he's going to die to protect you. Matter, he, would, right? he would die right alongside you. Um, so, you know, he will jump into a bear pit to save you, despite the fact that he has no plan, despite the fact that he, he could very well die. He will come and rescue you from the black cells at, you know, great risk to himself, because if he's found out, you know, he's a traitor, basically. So, yeah, it's just a, it's an important thing to remember going forward. This is who Jamie is. Yeah, Jamie and it's Im- loves his, no, yeah. go ahead, Chicky. He, he loves his family, and it's also important to note, this is the role that he plays for his family. Yes. He is their hero, and he is their rescuer, yeah. and it's important also to note here, Jamie is very much the big brother. He's not a couple years older than Tyrion. He's like eight or nine years older than Tyrion. And and he has helped to form who Tyrion is. Everything you've seen in Tyrion's chapters about the way that Tyrion reacts to things and the sarcastic and sardonic tones that Tyrion uses, you see, oh no, this is him imitating Jamie. Yeah. He has learned so Absolutely. much of this from Jamie. You yeah, and you see it here. Tyrion's, yeah. I mean, we, we haven't really covered any of Tyrion's stuff, but you can tell reading Tyrion's chapter that he thinks the world of his big brother. Yeah. He, yes, he has emulated part of his behavior on his big brother. He, he, he really adores, has. He really yeah. has. He has emulated, he has emulated Jamie in the ways that he could. He, he couldn't be the great swordsman that Jamie could no. be. He could physically follow Jamie. But as far as this this awful humor and these these sharp <laughs> yeah, the sarcasm, totally could follow totally. Jamie. And I feel like yeah. this is Jamie. You don't see this from Tywin. Tywin is a little funny and a little sharp, but this is yeah, yeah. Jamie. These no, these comments are Jamie, Jamie. and that's where it's that's where Tyrion has picked this up, and then he's perfected it even beyond Jamie, really. But it's all from Jamie. <laughs> I was going to say he really has. He kind of he kind of took Jamie's sarcasm and then refined it. He did. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Sorry, Ian. Go, go ahead. ahead, Ian. Oh, I was just saying it's really interesting that you're bringing this up because he's emulating Jamie right now. But later on, his his sense of humor is totally gone. He's not oh, yeah. this happy go lucky yeah, kind of absolutely. guy anymore. And I wonder why that is. That's what a good segue to what happens here. So. <laughs> When uh, Jamie says that he has a debt that he owes Tyrion, um, Tyrion can sense that it's bad, whatever this debt is, and uh, he tells Jamie to tell him. Um, Jamie reveals the truth about Taisha, how she was not a whore and she was in fact a crofter's daughter. Jamie tries to tell him the girl was probably just after his money and Tyrion should thank him, <laughs> and Jamie gets bitch slapped. <laughs> And I, I also forgot to mention to you that um, Jamie tells him he never knew what Tyrion had planned, um, what Tywin, Tywin had, planned. had planned. Yeah, yeah with yeah. the um, So if Jamie had known what Tywin had planned, um, do you think that would have been? <laughs> I don't think he would have been. That would have. I think that would have complete. Oh, I think that would have been a huge game changer because, I mean, you know, 
consider Jamie's overwhelming aversion to rape and violence against women and think about what Jamie would have thought after hearing what happened. It must have completely torn him up inside. Well, and how many times it did, has he... he's buried it. Until this point, he's Absolutely. clearly never let this go. Yeah. It's, it's obviously something that has been there. You're right, Chicky. It's something that has just been a huge thing to him and now he's just letting it all out. He's, it's, it's obviously a catharsis for him, but... You know, at what cost? Because obviously Tyrion doesn't have the best reaction to it. No, he's furious. And uh, he tells Jamie he'll get his. And a Lannister always pays his debts. And yeah. that's like some very serious, uh, chilling language coming from Tyrion. And I love what yeah, Tyrion can knows I just... about Jamie, that Jamie's afraid and that Jamie yeah, won't Tyrion his knows. eyes. Yeah. yeah, Tyrion. It's just another indication of how close they are, I think. He really knows something's going on. And how um, deeply Jamie feels this. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say, just going back to the what happened to Tasha, um, it's it's kind of interesting to look at it from the perspective of the first time Jamie meets her, and the and I guess his last what he last hears about her, yeah. I suppose. It's kind of bookended with Tasha being assaulted and Jamie actually saves her the first time from the rapes, and is then partially the reason why she is raped afterwards so oh, that's it's a really disturbing oh. bit of dramatic irony there it's horrible it's horrible yeah it's awful uh so Tyrion tells jamie to leave him that he'll find varus himself and he asks jamie if he can fight um when he learns that jamie can't he says that they will be well matched should they meet again jamie asks if Tyrion killed joffrey and that also pisses Tyrion off. He tells Jamie Joff would have been worse than um, Ares. Calls Cersei a whore that she's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and probably Moonboy for all he knows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sad we didn't get this in the show. I'm so bitter. Yeah. I know, right? Like it's the, it's such I'm a different sorry. parting for these. Yeah, look, it's just the book and show. I think. I think the show made a really huge misstep in excluding this exchange. And look, I understand the issues with adapting books to television, but honestly, the excuse that I don't know whether it was David or Dan gave at the Comic-Con panel when someone asked why it wasn't in there, I think they said something like, oh, it would have required too long a scene, too much dialogue. I disagree. <laughs> I think, yeah, I call that bullshit. I mean, <laughs> I call it bullshit too. This exchange is so important to both Jamie and Tyrion's characters and their relationship. Um, and I was – don't hurt me. I was talking to Chicky about this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't this why we fall so deeply in love with books and TV shows? Isn't it for the characters? It's. I mean, yes, plot is important, but it's the characters that we root for. It's the characters that we empathise with. It's the characters that we love to hate. So I think leaving this scene out of the show did no favours to either Jamie or Tyrion. And I think because David and Dan seem to have this weird concept that they need to make their characters all good or all bad for the most part. Yeah, and you see this really dramatically. They do. And Jamie, I guess, is one okay. of them. Yeah, yeah, Jamie kind of is. Yeah, but with Tyrion, they really want to seem to make him this hero that you will always yeah. root for. But I think what they fail to realise is that characters like Tyrion in the book are relatable, are able to be empathised with because yeah. they're so well fleshed out, because of the nuances, because of exchanges like these. They have layers. Mm -hmm. Tyrion doesn't need to be portrayed as completely good to be an understandable 
um, empathizable character. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I'm ranting. Yeah. But I really feel like this should have been in the show, and I don't think it would have taken a huge scene. Yeah, to and I think that Peter Dinklage could have totally pulled off going absolutely the shade of grey. You know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it would have been. Yeah, fun I think to they watch. just didn't want. They didn't want Tyrion, who was a rapist. I think that's what it comes down to. If they were yeah. honest. Yeah, I. But sorry, I think. No, you go ahead, Lot. Oh, I was going to say speculation. Also, is. You, you gotta wonder what's gonna happen. Like, if, well, Jamie and Tyrion live throughout the next two books, are they gonna yeah. meet up again? And, you know, does Tyrion hang on to his anger? Um, well, that's, that's a, that's a worry, isn't it? I, I mean, <laughs> I think, you know what else is interesting is that when Tyrion goes on his little rant, he says, after he says that Cersei's a lying horn, she's been fucking Lancel and Osmond and Moonboy or whatnot. He says, and I am the monster they all say I am, which is really quite an interesting contrast to what's happening with Jamie. Tyrion is kind of now saying, yes, I'm a monster. I am what society says I am. He's conforming to societal expectation of him. Whereas we've got Jamie what he's just done with the white book with Brienne. He's kind of freeing himself from societal constraints, mm. saying, you know, now I can do whatever I choose. My story is my own to write. So whilst we've got Tyrion falling, we've got Jamie rising. It's a really interesting contrast. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think he just, he really wanted to hurt Jamie. Absolutely. Oh, that's totally what he this did. was. And yeah. isn't it interesting that Jamie got that from both Cersei both and Tyrion? Yes, like, I was just going to say that. Time period. Yep. We <laughs> definitely see family. that that the Lannister temper, right? They get hurt yeah. and they lash out. <laughs> but it's also the two people that he was closest to that he loves the most to yes. essentially become his enemies in a way. Yeah. We call this Jamie breaks up with his family. That's right. what this yeah. the end of this book is about. He he well, that's what's isolated happened. after this, right? Like, and I think it calls back to his line about you know I've lost a father, a sister, and a brother, and they say that the Lannisters have won this war. That is the theme of what's happening yeah. in these chapters. Uh, yeah, Sorry, they're, Ian. they're falling. As apart. far as Tyrion's point of view, I mean, Jamie was the only family member of his that actually treated him like a real person, and he yeah. loved Jamie. Jamie was his protector, and. Whenever he met Tasha, he was in love with Tasha, but then, you know, he's told that, oh, she was just a whore, you know, and everything. And he believed that from Jamie. And it's been how long? Oh, I hear you. Yeah, I think we've lost her. Just breaking up a little bit. I was just going to say, I I was just going to agree with Eon. Jamie's entire, uh, sorry, Tyrion's entire worldview is essentially changed with this conversation. Because as she was saying, Tyrion thought Tasha was a whore. He's now realised that not only was this woman not a whore, she, there is a woman out there that might have loved, yeah, might have loved him for who he is. And really loved him. I mean, he's had to deal with Shay that was, was a prostitute. Shay, who was a poor substitute, basically, for Tasha. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, he not only learns that maybe someone actually loved him for who he is, but the person he thought loved him for who he was, Jamie, has actually betrayed him. Yeah. Anyway, as Jamie leaves him, Tyrion has um, a moment where he wants to call out to his brother, but then he reminds himself of Taisha. And then after that, a bunch of other stuff happens. But that's as far as I think we're going to go <laughs> yeah. into Tyrion's chapter. 
Because that's when Jamie walks away. Um, so- Dude, we finished A Storm of Swords. We knocked out an entire book. This is <laughs> wow. awesome. Well, we, we were selective <laughs> with our chapters, but you're right. Sure. Fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah, whatever. We were selective. We, we did, did it. We did, we did like a 20th of a storm of swords. <laughs> 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 okay, team. Awesome. We did the most important parts, let's that's face right. it. Other, right. Other stuff's not really important anyway. Who cares about that? Right. Okay. Well, you know what's what's exciting is we're about to delve into uh, feast where we get to finally get into Brienne's head. Yay! But we're gonna Yay! take a slight detour first. Yes, we are. All right, that's fun. <laughs> we get you guys get bonus. Lucky you people. <laughs> bonus <Yeah>. episodes. <laughs> bonus episode, also known as Drunk Cast 2014. <laughs> Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> So, Chicky, are you going to be drinking another one of those drinks again? Dude, I'm so drunk right now. You don't even want to know how drunk I'm going to be for the next podcast. Chicky is never drinking ever again before podcast. I just had an idea, Eon. You should um, do the recipe and put it on Tumblr for everybody. Oh, you should. Yes. I highly recommend We both are like broke-ass robots right now. I was gonna say, I, I love that Chicky was like, actually managed to pull it together for this podcast. I'm really impressed. No, at she's her, amazing. How coherent she is when she's done. So, like, I'm so passionate. Entire passages verbatim. Like I could not do that drunk. <laughs> Only drunk could I remember that. That's the key. Uh, <laughs> I think, lot. If you want to do that drunk, you need to have read the books as many times as Chicky has. Oh God, we're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Get on it. With, can we get the thank yous, please? We sure can. Um, <laughs> our first one <laughs> is from So Hard to Leave You, Brienne. And she says, your analysis are the best. You are so passionate about our ship. The chapter with the dream in the bear pit is the most romantic I've seen. Thank you, girls. Sorry I'm late. Better late than never. Thank oh, you. Better late than you. never. Thank you. Yes. We will take it at any point, even <laughs> if it's about, I don't know, episode three. Go ahead and just thank us. All right. <laughs> Our next one is an anon. Um, it says, "Can't wait to hear next podcast. You guys are amazing. Please pay attention to Xerxes' description of Jamie's cock. <laughs> I think she's she's <laughs> it's very small. Do you oh. think it's true, or is Cersei an unreliable narrator? Good luck with your podcast. I don't think he really has a small cock. It was just cold, and you know what? Kind of, it they got into a kind of a salty argument." It can't be that small. She seems to have liked it okay up until now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to weigh in with, with Mr. E. Yeah. Let us Definitely. We need his yeah. professional opinion. Was that all of them or is there another? No, we got two more. Okay. <laughs> okay. Another nod. I enjoyed last podcast, especially because of Aaron. More Aaron, please. Aww. Yes. Aaron. Sorry, Ian, what are you saying? Well, I say that even if one day, if, say, YD wants to take a break, we might have Aaron because there always has to be an Australian in podcasts. <laughs> it's so true. And I just yes. want to say, Relly, Relly was great on that podcast. It really too, was so amazing, too. Thank you, Aaron and Relly. We really enjoyed having the both of you I on. Like, I missed out on all the best chapters and so. Oh, yes. hey, you came, hey, you came back to Jamie giving Brianna's sword, which yeah. is the yes. most important. Yeah. I really bookended this, didn't I? <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, and you know what? You're going to be here. You'll be here for next week, too, whenever we Wait, Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. Saturday. Bonus. Yeah. Thank God you're back, Lot. Thank God you're back. Yes. Yay. <laughs> you're just happy because you can drink again. You didn't exactly. make me. You'd be so happy to be drinking again. Oh, my God. <laughs> we say one more thank you. We got one more, okay? And it's from another Anon. We've had a lot of Anon thank yous. Here's the last one. It Mom? Goes, I t- Mom. <laughs> Because I just wanted to say thank you for this amazing podcast. It's the highlight of my week. I'm sorry to admit that the show ruined JB for me a bit, but thanks to you, I'm loving it more than ever, and I'm dying to reread. You reminded me how awesome they are and how badly Jamie wants her to have a good opinion of him. That's even better than he has of himself. And how angry he gets when she doesn't. My thirst for next book is stronger than ever, and I can't wait for you to discuss future JB chapters. That is so sweet. Thank you. We're the highlights in someone's week. That's awesome. We've restored their faith in Jamie and Brienne. That is like we've got good in the world. Our work here. I love that. So what you're saying is that they're as drunk as we are. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Last, hey, last but not least, we did get a fan art today from. Lovely Did lady, we? Brienne. Yes. Oh, I haven't oh seen it. Oh, my God. Yet. Yes. Well, I, yes. Yes. Oh, I only yes. just woke up before this podcast. Oh, I haven't even seen it. I will. It's, it's based off of um, when Jamie's telling Brienne that she should be blowing him kisses. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something else. <laughs> Not penis. Oh, it's my. my pot. Yay. She says that you should be blowing me bubbles. Oh, that took a different turn than I was expecting. Nibbly, thank you. Yes, it is so cute. I need to check that out now. We actually, I actually reblogged it to our close the door and come here Tumblr. Awesome. If you want to check it out. Thank you. Can't wait to see it. Speaking of our close the door and come here Tumblr, you can follow us there. Um, You can also leave us a message at close the door and at gmail.com. Rate us on iTunes, um, you Australians and you United Kingdom people. I am so ashamed yes. of my fellow countrymen. Yeah. I love how you're calling people out. I am now. You know what? Put your Tim Tams down and put your, <laughs> put your, <laughs> put your coffee down. 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 Dude, what about the Canadians? We haven't had a, a review from the Can- <laughs> Canadians in a while either. Put your poutine down. Put your Tim Hortons down. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Yeah, you guys too. We're back, baby. Lots back. We're all back. We love you. Good to be back. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. And shout out to Rose Papillon and Relly for last week. Thank you. You guys, you were awesome. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's awesome. You are. All right. (laughs) Good night. Good night, everybody. We love you. Bye. Bye.